Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, what, you know, I feel different this way. What's happening? Tea cakes? No tea cakes? Okay. All right, all right, all right. Happy New Year again, everybody. Happy 2019. What do they say? If you love the Lord, clap your hands. If you are glad to be in the house of the Lord one more time, say hallelujah. Amen, amen. As you can see on the, on the screen, and we have, uh, uh, well, I've prayed about it and I've been thinking about this for a while. And, and last week, uh, uh, Elder Marshall had preached this sermon, Are You Transforming? Yes. That just hit me like a Louisville slugger. That has been bothering me all week, but it made sense because it is something that has been going on in my mind uh, pr probably for the last year and a half and, and wondering how we're going to put this together. Real quick side note, uh, I know everybody's been talking about the music and I've talked to Gerard about it, but the person we want to blame for the loud music is sitting right there <laughs> because <laughs> Gerard cannot control the Leslie that makes so the louder Steven plays, the louder Curtis plays on the drums and because he plays loud, then Imaye is going to sing loud as well. <laughs> So we got to ask Brother Stephen to just take it down a little bit so everybody will be in line. But I understand when that spirit starts moving, it takes over you and gets you where you need to go. So uh, that's, that's what's happening here. But anyway, transformation. I had been thinking uh, for a while, and it struck me one day that I had a, a friend of mine, who I remember... Maybe it wasn't my trial sermon, but early in my ministry, the person came and visited where, we, where I was. And her reaction to me, or reaction to my wife, it was actually my wife's friend, is that, ooh, I like the uh, Reverend Ronnie. He's a, he's a teaching pastor. And I had never really kind of understood what that meant. And then I heard uh, somebody else that said, well, I really enjoyed your sermon, but I was expecting you to preach with more power. Which, when I asked the question about, well, did you get the sermon? Did you get the subject? Did everything flow? Would you, could, it, could you address your problems in the middle of the week from what I taught you today? Yes. Uh, which I said, well, then where was the lack of power? And it, and it just had me just struggled and turned up inside because not only do you have people who try to say, uh, well, you know, he's not a powerful preacher or he's just a teaching preacher. And what, what is the point of a preacher? And is it just to get you riled up or are you supposed to learn something from this? Uh, but I don't know if that's everything that it's about. I also realize, and if you've been following me on, on social media, you've seen a series of, of posts this week. And one of the questions asked, or, or, or one of what I wanted to deal with, how do we keep defining the church in the world's terms and expect it to be different? You know, when you see people will say, hey, church was on fire today. Uh, we were lit. We were turned up. But, you know, you could post a picture of your dinner, and the dinner was fire. And you go to the club, and the club was turned up and lit. And if you turn up and lit at the church and turn up and lit in the club, what is the difference? How are we thinking about how church is supposed to be, uh, especially in the context of where we are in 2019? Because it seems that we, as a nation, are going backwards. Instead of progressing forward, we are moving backwards. We're, we're supposed to be getting better. Social media was supposed to connect us to make us work better together, to collaborate more, to be closer to each other. And what we're finding is that we're causing more division. Yeah. 
more hatred, more anger, more simple and small-minded people expressing these views that just Christian folk embracing hate and depravity. But the word of God, one of the things also is that I realized this found out this building affects how this works. So there may be a slight lag. Uh, but that's something that's interfering with uh, the reading, so I keep trying to get this a little closer. But as we go in 2019, we're using as a theme scripture 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're kind of going to have a two-for-one this morning, kind of. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 will be our theme scripture for the entire year as the year of transformation is our goal. Uh, and the word says, but we all with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the spirit of the Lord. Uh, To be transformed into the mirror, the glory of the Lord. Being transformed. We're supposed to be, this whole thing is not just about having a social time together. It is not just about hanging out with people and doing the same thing as, as church has become. One of the posts uh, that I made about on Facebook was talking about how some of these churches have become so big and so, uh, I didn't say soulless, but it's essentially where it is. They're glitzy and people are going, and it's almost like you're going to a pasture that's made of astroturf to a sheep. The sheep may look at the astroturf and think, ooh, I got all this green grass, but when they get there, it's nothing. And we're seeing that in churches across the country, that they're big and glitzy and the flashy lights and the great production with the full band, professional musicians and professional singers, no more choirs, just praise teams of the absolute best singers. With your coffee and a donut. But no meat. Transformed is it? To, to morph, to change into another form. And the word says that we're supposed to be new creatures in Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus that you have to be born again. The same old you can't exist when you're in my presence. You have to be born again. You have to transform to become something new. But yet we go week after week doing the same old thing. The same old thing. We do that not only in our church, we do that in our lives, just completely unaware, oblivious to who we are, what we are, and our impact on the community and people. One of the basic steps of transformation is self-awareness. The, uh, I, I like to believe, again, I'm saying I like to believe, I don't know if it's always true, I know it's not always true, but I like to believe that I am self-aware of my shortcomings. That when someone says, hey, this is what I would like, or this is what I would like to see, I can tell you unequivocally yes or no, because I know I'm either going to do it or I'm not. That if I aggravate people, that I can tell you, yeah, I do. And I do it on purpose. Uh, My wife will attest to that. (laughs) (laughs) But the concept of self-awareness comes from the ancient Greek term to know thyself. I think uh, William Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true, and that is rooted in to know who you are. That if you are someone who can't tolerate a certain behavior, you have to know that. 
Or if you know I can't give you what you need, you need this for me, but I know that I can't do that, then we got to end this thing. We have relationships that are going around where people are saying, well, this is, this is not working, but I love you, but I can't give you what you need. Do we know ourselves enough? Psychologists said that when we focus our attentions on ourselves, we evaluate and compare our current behavior, what, this is what the world sees, our current behavior, to our internal standards and values, which are usually different from what we display to the world. See, our internal standards and values hold the world and everybody else to this level. But our current behavior is on this level. So, but if you can take, evaluate, and compare your current behavior, which you show the world, to what you believe how people should behave, then you become self-conscious and become an objective evaluator of yourself. Now, this is just not psychological psycho battle. This is important stuff because you have to, in order to grow, in order to transform, what people say, you should be a lifelong student, that you should never stop learning. And as human beings, we should never stop evolving. We should never stop growing. If you ever get to the point where you think you know everything, or you're at the pinnacle and everybody else is below, something is wrong. You are not an objective evaluator of yourself. Uh, but we have biblical backing for this. Psalm 119, 59 through 60. Uh, David writing to the Lord, I thought about my ways, my actions, how I carry myself, how other people view me, and turned my feet to your testimonies, God, and made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. David is realizing in his self-evaluation, I'm not doing... My behavior, my outward behavior is not matching what I hold everybody else to. And so now I'm making haste to go back to God because when I turn to the Lord and make haste to him, then my outward behavior becomes in line with what I hold inside. Lamentations at 340 says to the people, let us search out and examine our ways. Do some self-evaluation. Look inside of ourselves. And realize your behavior is not where you hold the world to. Turn back to the Lord. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves. This, this whole thing, there is a biblical precedence here. Not just psychological psychobabble that we are supposed to check ourselves. All the time. On a daily basis. Are you in the faith? Is my behavior consistent with this word of God that I hold so true? Test yourselves, it says. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. That I'm just talking and not walking. I'm holding everybody here, but I'm going to do what I want to do. You wrong and I'm right. Transformation. Why are you talking about me, Danielle? I'm going to put you on black. <laughs> Paul wrote again in Romans 12, too, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
transformed by the continual renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Change your mind so that your outward behavior matches the internal standards and values you hold for everybody else. And when I looked up that word renewal, renewing is a transform. Renewing is to go through a renovation, a complete change for the better. This is a continual process that each day we are supposed to be working and growing and learning to be better than we were the day before. When, when Martin Sapp said, uh, Marvin Sapp sang that song, I never would have made it, said, I'm stronger, I'm wiser. That's because yesterday I wasn't as strong as I was. Yesterday I wasn't as wise as I am today. Tomorrow we should be stronger than we are today. We should be wiser and learn from our mistakes, learn from our behavior and how we impact other people's lives. We have to make 2019 a year trend. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm making 2019 a year transformation, and I'm dragging as many people with me in the change. Even if you're kicking and screaming, we're still going together. Somebody is going to be transformed, and you're going to be left out. I've committed to myself that if it means I have to hurt people's feelings in order to give them truth, I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. When I told somebody on Facebook, it already started because I posted on Facebook, don't tell me how the Spirit moved in your church unless somebody got healed at church. I don't want to hear about the Spirit moving unless somebody got delivered at church. If the only thing you can tell me about the Spirit moved in your church is because the choir was singing, two people ran laps around the church and three people passed out. They just had an emotional reaction to the music. I was talking about this with my mom that when I was in college, I, I was uh, interested in this young lady who played classical violin in the orchestra. And because I was very interested in her, I became interested in classical music. And when she invited me to go to her concert, I went. And I sat there listening to the music and found myself as the music was building and building and building. I was moving forward to the edge of my seat until it reached the crescendo and I felt this release like, oh, because the music impacted and interacted with my body and led me to a place. And it's the same thing that happens in church when the music, when Steve starts tearing up that organ and Nehemiah starts going with those songs, you can feel yourself being caught up in the music moving you to this place. Sometimes there's conviction. But sometimes it's just physical. And we'll talk about it being the spirit was moving when in fact all it was was you just being reacting to the music. Nobody got saved. Nobody got delivered. Nobody was healed. People still poor and still broke. It is vitally important for us as believers to start rethinking this thing we do call church. And what church seems to me. Which leads me to the scripture today. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. This is the, uh, I guess like Pastor Ray said, that was just my introduction. <laughs> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this morning, I want to use for a theme. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. We've heard it for years that it's not who you know, it's what you know. And then some people say it's not what you know, it's who knows you. Or wait a minute, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But then it changed, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. We we think and we can see from the scripture, these are people who knew God. They knew Jesus. Jesus said, I don't know you. And the King James Version, he says, I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity is a condition without law. It's a condition that exists without law. Because one of either ignorance of the law or the willful violation of the law. If you're a worker of iniquity, you are in a condition that is without the law of the Lord because you're either ignorant of the law or willfully violating the law. So when we read that scripture, it says, haven't we done many wonders in your name? These are people who knew the law, which tells us they are willfully violating the law. We as Christians willfully violate what God has put in place for us to follow. You'll sit up in church week after week. Preachers will stand up here week after week. People will sit in the sing in the choir, play all the instruments week after week, and will willfully violate the law of the Lord. That quote, Jared Kentz is the one who made the new quote, uh, expanded on that quote, it's not who you know that matters, Who knows you that's important? Personal branding builds up your reputation to the point where you have a presence even in your absence. You think about that. Has a presence, your presence, even in absence. Your your reputation preceded you. You ain't even got there. People know who you are and know about you. The problem the church faces The problems that we Christian folks are facing is that our personal brand that we advocate, our character, our reputation, our spiritual walks are not what we portray to the world. I'm a member of XYZ Church. Bishop, Apostle, so-and-so is my pastor. But yet, Saturday night, I'm at the club, shooting pool, drinking, doing whatever, hanging out. Not with my wife, with somebody else. Not with her husband, with somebody else. Your presence, even in absence, speaks volumes to the people who know and love us the most. Your absence. So, what do we know about this dude's character? His reputation. Once upon a time, the revered uh, image of what a black father is supposed to be. What is his reputation now? <laughs> uh, anybody know this dude, Stephen Collins? 
Everybody loved that show Seventh Heaven until he got busted for child, uh, molesting a child. Ha. Loved her show, didn't you? Till she sit around SNL a, a series of tweets comparing black people to apes. Reputation has changed. What about my boy, fella Trojan? Everybody loved O.J. Simpson. Even those who still defend him in their heart know he killed that woman. Reputation just shot. Every last one of them changed from what we they're, they're, what they're, where they are. If they come into a room, what we think of them, we already know. Uh, but this man reversed what people thought of him. Everybody once upon a time vilified him as somebody who was angry and hated America, but upon his death, he is a national hero. His reputation. What is the world saying about you? If, if J.D. Power is a company that I've worked with frequently in my career, they conduct surveys on quality, particularly focusing on the automotive industry. But if J.D. Power did a survey on your personal brand, what would be the results? If your loved ones were contacted by J.D. Power and conducted an anonymous survey on your brand, what would be the results? See, we have people who we come in contact with that might say, you're great. Oh, he's awesome. I love working with that guy. I love this person. They're great. But your family may have a whole different perspective. But if you don't care about the results of the survey, you are not an objective evaluator of self. You have failed to begin to even embrace the idea of transformation because you don't care about the results. The reason why Toyota cares about the results is because they want to continue to improve the product. We want customers to say, we love this car, we love their quality, this is what we like, this is what we don't like, and we want to know more than what they like. We want to know what they don't like so that we can fix it. But do we care enough as Christians to work on our personal brand enough? And I'm not talking about networking. I'm talking about our perception to people who love us. Do we care enough to be Christian with them or continue to be the same old angry people that we are all the time? I'm right. I've never done anything wrong. You are always in the antagonizing me. People tell me all the time that I aggravate my wife. I'm the one that's always aggravating her. They, nobody ever sees that she aggravates me. But if I go through a place and says that I'm always the one, or she's always the one, and it's never me, I am not being objective about anything. If she continues to say I'm always doing right, and you're the one that she's not being objective about things. Right, sweetie? <laughs> I started a practice several years back, and I got out of the habit, and I need to reinstitute it, that I would check in with her. How am I doing? This was very early in our relationship because I've committed to be different from where I was in the past. What am I not doing? What am I doing wrong? What, what, am I, what do you see? Because I have a perception of who Ron is and who Ron the husband, who Ron the father, who Ron whatever is. But everybody else may have a whole different perspective. And when you talk to them and listen, you will find out that what you think ain't nothing what you thought. You thought you was doing this, and they're like, oh, no. Sorry. But are you brave enough to listen to that? 
to begin to take that on, to be in the process of change. David told us in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, he's talking to God, search me, God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Look inside me and tell me what's wrong with me. You are the one that I am trying to please, but for some reason, things are not going right in my life. Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is anything wicked in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Something is wrong inside of me. I call myself a Christian, but all inside is hate. I say that my faith is so important to me, but I will embrace people who have lifestyles and do things completely opposite of what my faith says I'm supposed to do. And you think about this concept, we, we see it all the time, and, and we hear about this idea, evangelicals, and I hate to take this to a political uh, place, but evangelicals are supporting the current president in masses because they're they say, you know, he's going to support or put a judge on the, on the Supreme Court that, that will strike down Roe v. Wade. Is that the only thing you're hanging your faith on? Roe v. Wade? He's going to give me a tax credit and put more money in my wallet. Some guy actually had the audacity to tell me that in two years, his financial situation improved 50% than the entire eight years of the last administration. When you know that's a lie. Evangelical, just going to tell a lie about his finances, but he clearly is focusing on something other than what his faith says. That other people are just clearly looking at the monetary aspect. He is impacting my wallet, so that's more important to me than my faith. Who are we aligning ourselves with here again? By behavior and the internal standard that I hold to the world. And, 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 and David says, search me. Remove what is not right and turn me back on the way. Because if our faith is truly more important to me, when we vote, we're going to vote for people who align with our faith. And that's not just in their policies, it's in their actions. And when they don't get align with our actions, we give them grace, but we expect to see, like David, some repentance. That says, I'm sorry. Humility that will, I, I made a mistake and know I want to be better. And we don't see that, not just in the current president, but most presidents. First thing we look at in verse 21. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. He, everybody who's calling him. That know him. He said, This was not who you know. There are Christians who know Jesus, and he's saying, You ain't coming. Sorry. But how do we know who that is for ourselves? It's not my job to determine whether or not my wife or my dad or my daughter or Pastor Chris is going that way. It's for me. How am I supposed to know that I'm not going to be the one that when I approach the pearly gate and say, Lord, Lord, that Jesus says, Hey, But pastor, but Jesus, I, I started the church and I was the pastor of the church and, and we kept this church going for X amount of years. We have to seriously evaluate how we view church and our relationship with Christ. So when, when, so when Elder, Elder put, did that sermon, Are You Transforming? I started, it just, 
I mean, you, you just imagine Reggie Jackson standing at that plate with that bat, and here comes my head right down the middle. Home run with that bat because it just hit me. So what are we doing in church? What are we doing as a church? The, 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 the glitzy shows are more important. I, I, I seriously had to sit here and check myself because I'm looking at, okay, well, how come we're not growing like I thought we were going to grow? Why, why are the people who left that said they were going to come back and not haven't come back yet? How can we get to this place and be like this church? And it just, God is saying, you don't have to be like that church. They're not feeding the people. And I said, but isn't this important? Shouldn't we have this? Shouldn't we have that? Shouldn't I have this? Shouldn't I have that? What am I concerned with? What are you concerned with when it comes to doing this thing we call church? What do we believe when it comes to this walk? And it, I had a, a, a clergy shirt on once. And I like the color red, so I wore a red one. And somebody said, oh, you a presiding elder? I said, what? Are you, a, you have on a red clergy shirt. I said, no, I just like red. Well, red is supposed to be for clergy. Says who? How did we get to this place that everything we do in church that we knew? I, I, on my prayer call with my, my fellow uh, pastors who I've been doing with the last five years, we were talking about that last night. I said, why is it that we do communion on the first Sunday? Why, why do we have to have church, some churches say, well, only clergy can serve and nobody else? Who said? What is the point of the robe? When you go to seminary, certain seminaries actually have classes to instruct you on black preaching. How do you teach somebody to preach black? How do you teach a black person to teach preach black? What is this, this concept that there has to be black preaching and white preaching? They, they actually have a technical term in black preaching that when you get, we call it the hoop and holler, but the technical term is the celebration. That some people don't care about the sermon until you get to the celebration. It's a technical term. What does the celebration have to do with reaching souls? I thought about Acts chapter 2. Peter, we have the transcript in Acts chapter 2 of the sermon that Peter, pre that Peter preached. There was no celebration. There was no black or white preaching. He preached the word of God. And how many people were saved? 3,000 came to Christ because of Peter. And it wasn't like, I mean, you could just picture this. It's not like they got to 2,500 and he closed the doors and said, okay, saints, we got 500 more folks we got to read. Stop praying. What is this thing we're doing? What is it about that we, we come in here week after week or we see people talking about it week after week and you'll see posts on Facebook week after week and you'll see the choir and everybody says, hey, you need to come to this church because we got the best choir. Who cares if your choir is singing if nobody's being saved? Who cares how good so-and-so act and do this and that and the other thing and your, your pastor's bishop this and apostle that and diplomat that if nobody is being healed and no lives have been changed? 
What are we doing? What are we doing in this place? When we sit around here and read this, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. We've got to stop and pause and think, am I going to be one of those people that he's... When you come and say, Lord, Lord, well, no. God is looking also for specific traits from his believers. When we question this, what are the traits God is looking for? He tells us in Mark chapter 7, 16 and 17, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. It, it, it's funny because uh, in my prayer call last night, we were talking about the, you know, this whole thing about church and just how funny it is that you'll have somebody who will show up in your church and say, I got gifts, and God has called me. And two weeks later, they're sitting around there preaching a sermon. Because we're so eager to get people and members that will do whatever it takes to get them and forego what God is saying. How are you going to examine somebody's fruit after two weeks? It, you come to church for three months, and then you stop because nobody's using you. One of the things I love about Jesus, how he always talked about uh, agriculture, is because it made perfect sense then and it makes perfect sense now. See, if I take, even, forget a seed, if I take a seedling, a tree that's already started to grow and planted, once I plant it in the ground, in two weeks it is not going to produce fruit. It takes time for fruit to grow. It takes time for that tree to mature to a place where it can produce fruit. And we got people to think, because I said I'm called, that I'm supposed to be preaching. i got gifts. I'm supposed to be praying before everybody every week. No, you need to come here, sit, then you need to serve, you need to come to Sunday school, you need to go to Bible study, and be show that you are dedicated, and you're working, and you care about what's going on in this place. You will know them by their fruits. And so when you sit around and you see these people that get disappointed, they're not using me, so I'm not coming to their church anymore. Bye. What is it? Bye, Felicia. Because clearly, you don't have what it takes. Uh, when he tells us in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, how we know what fruit they have. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is what we have to do. This is the result of our J.D. Power survey in getting to a place where Jesus is supposed to know us. Beginning the transformation of our lives is to live this way. If you read the message translation, it puts it in a whole different perspective. Especially when you read the part before when they tell you about what other people, when you're not living by uh, fruit is not great. When you do not have good fruit, and how those things are happening. If we want Jesus to know us, we need to live by the Spirit and not by our flesh. And the last thing I believe, no, it's not the last thing, but in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Church folk. Because the people on the street are not doing wonders. Jesus. They're not casting out G uh, demons in Jesus' name. But he's speaking to church folk 
but specifically church folk who work. If you are not prophesizing in Jesus' name, you're not casting out demons in Jesus' name, you're not doing signs and wonders, you ain't working. So that, can you imagine if he's telling this to people who go to church and are working, if you ain't working, what he's going to say to you? I mean, I don't even think about this here. This is, these people that he's saying, many, a whole lot of Christian people are going to come to me talking about all the work they did, all the demons they've done, all the stuff, they're going to have power to do things, and he's going to say, see ya. See ya wouldn't want to be ya. And then if we come in here having done nothing, and say, I just want to be a bench member, <clears throat> it will not be enough for us. Remember what he said about iniquity. This is a condition without the law because you're ignorant of the law or you're willfully violating the law. Willfully violate this is that whole debate about gun violence or gun, gun control. You, you, people are either ignorant of the law or they're willfully vi violating the law. So if I tell you that guns are illegal, murder is illegal, that's my position. Murder is illegal, but murder still happens. So we can say, okay, we're going to ban guns. Well, see, the problem is criminals who willfully violate the law are still going to willfully violate the law. There ain't nothing you can do about it. But in the house of God, why will you continually and willfully violate the law, knowing that your salvation is tied up in this? I'm going to continue to be my same old mean, crotchety, angry self, not loving anybody, not taking any feedback about my behavior, not thinking that anybody else could possibly be right, not serving or doing anything else, and believe that Jesus is going to welcome me into heaven when he says there will be those who, who, who have done these things and will not. Precedence has to be set in our lives. A change in how we think. The precedence of change on the inward and how we view ourselves and forgetting about what's happening on the outside. Because Jesus will know us what's inside, our hearts, not all the other stuff. Jesus is not going to judge road to Damascus because we don't have a coffee machine. He's not going to judge you because we don't have donuts and we, we don't have a, 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 a room for kids or all these things. But we're sitting around and going every week or every once a month going out feeding, making sure people have food to eat. We've been out on the street making sure we can feed people who are hungry. But then beyond all of that, because these people were workers, we're doing work. But if we're not living and displaying that fruit, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15, uh, 16 and 18. But even this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Uh, Paul was talking about the church, that, and right before this is how there was an actual veil that kept us in Moses' time, to separated the people from the holiest of holies. But he's speaking metaphorically now that even though the veil is gone, the veil is still there on our hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
And in verse 18 he says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we look in the mirror, we should be able to see the image of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the outward appearance. I'm talking about the mirror that speaks and shows us what's inside. Am I angry? Steve, you've done that. Am I angry? Am I hateful? Am I unforgiving and unloving? Do the results of my survey say that he's just someone who we can't get along with? He's someone, she's somebody who, who doesn't listen to me. Can we stand the scrutiny of taking that survey to begin the transformation, to view ourselves differently? It doesn't matter how we view the world. How are we going to view ourselves it can't happen if we don't trust God. Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah 7 and 24 through 26. And we read the voice translation. It says, but they didn't trust me. They didn't obey my voice. They refused to listen to me. Instead, they followed their plans, the plans of their own stubborn hearts. Each step was a step backward, not forward. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have shown them the way to a better life. Day after day, I sent all of my servants, the prophets, to speak the truth. But did any of them listen or pay attention? Did they change their ways? No. They only hardened their resolve to go their own way. And each generation has done more evil than the generation before. God is saying, day after day, I have sent people. Year after year, you have had my word. And do you listen? Do you follow it? And he says straight out, no. You only harden your resolve to do things your own way. That rift that exists between me and my wife, whatever. The relationship with my kids, Whatever. I've done my part. Digging into my resolve. Giving no grace. No forgiveness. No possibility of maybe I'm the problem here. Have you ever really done a self-examination? I told somebody, I said, you know, the reason why people don't want to examine themselves is because they don't want to like admit to what's there. If I admit that I'm the cause of the pain, I'm the one. It's me, not them. That's hard. We've seen families torn apart, marriages completely ripped apart parents and children ripped apart and nobody willing to say it's me I ain't never done nothing there, there was a point with my own children I remember saying to people who knew me oh, you know, they, 
they're they doing this and they're doing that. And I, I've done my part. I've done all I'm, I'm supposed I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Back came, hit me in the head. No, you haven't done everything you're supposed to do, bro. You want to blame everybody else for the failed relationship. When I acknowledge my shortcomings and my failures, then I can be better. When we acknowledge our failures and shortcomings, we can be better. We can transform. The relationships will come back. My son told me, well, he didn't tell me. My daughter had to tell me. Josh doesn't want to talk to you because you constantly bring up the past. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And something I swore I would never do. And I did it anyway. And called them and said, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I was doing this to you. But I'm sorry. And I hope that you will get to a place to forgive me that our relationship can be back to what it used to be. And he calls me all the time now. Because I took the self-evaluation. I received that feedback from my survey that said, no, you think you did everything right, but you weren't doing everything right. And I was man enough to say, you know what? You're right. And I feared God enough to call my son to say, I'm sorry for making you feel the way that you did. I had no right to do that. What are we going to do as Christians? Are we going to continue to live this life willfully violating the law? God already said that is iniquity. And he will tell you, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Willfully violating my law and think you're going to come into my presence? Ain't happening. Not on my watch. So what are we going to do? That doesn't matter what you're going to do. I already know what I'm going to do, and I already said I'm dragging all of you with me. We are going to be better. We are going to do the work. We are going to pray for each other. When the Spirit moves in this place, it'll be because somebody got delivered from holding on to this generational curse. Somebody is going to let go of dysfunction that has plagued them and their family and their relationships. People will be getting jobs and will be blessed and will be healed and cured of all kinds of diseases when the spirit moves. And I'm going to be there and I know I'm taking Elder with me. Pastor Chris, we're going to be standing on the front lines fighting this tooth and nail. And you're going to be coming with us dragging and kicking your feet if you want to, but you're coming. So you might as well stand up and get, take, get ready. Amen guess the battery died. All right, Father God, in the name of Jesus.